Our King and Savior draweth nigh, O come, let us adore him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. So who is this man, John the Baptist, and why should we care? Because we have a little bit of identity confusion going on here today. We have this wonderful passage in which the Pharisees or their representatives come to John and say, Who are you? And he confessed that he is not the Christ. And so they ask him, Are you Elijah then? And they say, and he says, No. And this is a little curious. Because actually, Jesus said that he was. How are we to understand this? We have this wonderful passage from today out of Isaiah in which John identifies himself as a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. A wonderful passage. A passage that is filled with dread and yet hope, expectation, fear, but ultimately resolution. And yet, Jesus himself said that John was the prophet who was being spoken of out of Malachi. Malachi 3.1 and then eventually 4.5. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So who is this man, John? Is he Elijah or is he not? And why should we care? I think that we can look at the answer to that question on a couple of levels. There's the, very, there's the level of looking at comparing the scriptures against each other, and I think that's a very interesting one, but that's not the sermon I want to preach today. Maybe next year. No, actually, I'm interested in looking at it not so much from that perspective, but from the perspective of why we should care. Because I think that answering the question why we should care has something very important to do with our task and our own journey here in Advent. Our task and journey in Advent, as you might recall, is that we have to prepare for the second coming, which is on one level, it seems fairly incongruous. Because we are in the process of preparing for Christmas. We're in the process of preparing for the first coming. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, there's something about this season which is all about being incongruous. There's something about this season that doesn't quite fit. If we think about it, we look at what the world around us is all about now, we would think that this is all about going out and spending large quantities of money that we don't have, filling up our 
larders in our refrigerators with food we don't need, with saturated fats that are probably going to clog our arteries and are going to basically give us lots of pleasure and joy that we will regret in terms of stepping on the scale in January and February. It's incongruous. If we take a little bit of a step deeper, we look and see that, in fact, going through the motions of this season are also incongruous with the idea of preparation. That watching Frosty and Rudolph and whatever other things are on now, do those things really help us to prepare? Well, yeah, I know. Maybe we can put the tree up and that's enjoyable or we can have a glass of eggnog or something and that it's all fun and joyous and good. But how are we preparing? Advent is a time in which we place ourselves in a state of suspended animation. That we are looking forward not only to the joy that is coming for us in exactly one week, but that in fact we look to the joy that comes to us throughout our Christian walk, throughout our Christian lives, and eventually comes to us after our own deaths when Jesus comes back as Christus Rex, the King of glory, and he will judge all of us and all who have lived and all who have yet to live. He will judge us at the time of the general resurrection. It's a big thing we're preparing for. And there's something about this season that is, it feels a tad misleading, a tad out of place. And I think that is why understanding why the image of John in our midst during this season, as he is at no other, is such an important one for us to get our heads around and, more importantly, get our hearts around. See, I think that the way that we best understand the question of who this guy, John, is was actually best understood by our gospel reading last week. You might remember that Jesus, after the people went away, and John had asked this very plaintive question from jail, are you the one that we seek or should we look for another? And that, in fact, that statement, that question, I should say, had to have been one that came out of terrible despair, because John knew from the beginning of his own life, in fact, from before the beginning of his life, when he was in the womb and his mother Elizabeth came into the presence of Mary and heard her voice that John leapt in the womb because he knew that he was in the presence of his Lord. John knew from before the beginning of life, from before birth, what his purpose in life was to be. And so for John to have to ask that question must have been coming out of a place of terrible despair, doubt, worry, concern, that not only did he not 
know at that moment whether Jesus was indeed the Lord and God, but in fact was John's very purpose in life itself being questioned. Who was he? Was his life what he thought it was? And in asking that question, he not only questioned whether Jesus was Lord, but he questioned whether everything he had done in his own life had been for naught. Terrible place to be. And Jesus responded by saying that the dead are being raised, the lepers are being cleansed. Let John know that this work is occurring, that I am real, and that his task has not been in vain. And when they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowd concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are in soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? Was it a prophet? Yes, and I tell you, more than a prophet. This is he who is written... Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. A quote that sounds remarkably like Isaiah, but also remarkably like Malachi. I think that how we resolve this issue about who John is, and in fact, how we even come ourselves to understand what Advent itself is about, and what the great and blessed event is going to be next week. I think actually the answer to it is contained in the very next paragraph, which was not included in the reading last week. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. All amazing words. Huge words, the kind of words that give someone giving a sermon fits when they're preparing for the sermon. But I ask you, of everything I just read, what do you think was the most important thing that Jesus said about John? I'll tell you what I think. All of those words were important, but I think... The most important phrase came toward the very end. And if you are willing to accept it. Kind of odd. One of those throwaway lines that Jesus is famous for giving. One of those lines that fills the space between something important over here and something important over there. And we kind of listen to it, and it washes over our ears, and we think, I'll understand that someday. I'll get to that. I think it's important we understand that phrase today. If you are willing to accept it. If you're willing to accept 
that he is more than a prophet. He is Elijah. Now, of course, if he's Elijah, if he is Elijah returned, resurrected, if he is Elijah, that means that the people are standing at that very moment in front of the Messiah. But only if you're willing to accept it. Now that may sound a little odd, because we accept that Jesus Christ is Messiah, that he is Emmanuel, and yet, do we really? Does our world accept it? And in fact, do we accept it each and every day of our lives? I know I struggle with that. And in fact, if we go back through the entirety of salvation history, we see that that question, do you accept it, is frequently met with the answer, no. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, did they accept that the Lord, their God, was someone that, to whom they should have been obedient to the last? No, they did not accept it. When Cain and Abel had their dust up, did Cain accept it? No. Why was the world flooded and why did Noah build an ark? Because the people were evil and they did not accept God. And we can take this line throughout the entirety of salvation history. We can go through the time of the judges of Israel. We can go through the kings of Israel. We can go up into the time of the prophets. And every single act of an agent of God fundamentally is about coming to the people and say, will you accept that the Lord your God is your Lord and God? And the people say, no. And now John the Baptist comes. And we are told that if you will accept it, that he is Elijah, returned. And if he is Elijah, returned, then he must be the herald of the Lord Most High, who is Messiah, who is to come. Will you accept it? If the people will accept that, then they will have a gift in their presence that is beyond any gift that God has ever given. They will have something that is of greater value, of greater worth than anything they have ever seen, anything they've ever imagined. A gift so powerful, so precious, that even the rules of reality can be bent and prophets who have died can return to life and that, in fact, our very God can become Emmanuel, God with us. If you will accept it.
Did the people accept it? And more importantly, I think, do you accept it? Do you accept it in your heart? Do you accept it in the very fiber, in the very soul of your being that you have a God that loved you enough that would come down to earth and forsake all of the glory, forsake all of the majesty of the heavens and allow himself to be born into the muss and the dung of this world for you and for me. If you do, if you do accept it, then you accept a faith in which anything is possible. You accept a faith in which you can be redeemed despite whatever you have done in the course of your life. You have a faith that gives you the power to stand in front of God at the second coming and to say, Lord, you are my God and my Messiah. I am yours. If you are willing to accept it and if you are willing to allow Elijah to come again, you will have the opportunity to stand before Christus Rex and you will be judged well. All you have to do is accept. That's it. That is all that we have to do. When have you ever been given a gift of such importance, of such amazing quality, and that all you had to do was simply say, yes, I'll take it. Thank you. As we go this last week, and we wrap, and we bake, and we cook, and we shop, and we drive, and we get grumpy, and we listen to kids, and we listen to music, and we listen to Frosty the Snowman for the 19th time, and you get tired, and you get cranky. Do you accept a God who loves you enough to give himself to you? If you do, then you will have a very, very Merry Christmas indeed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.